Yudhishthira has been coronated as the king, but out of his goodness, he surrenders this and once again gets the situation back to the same place. where it lead to confusion and conflict. A king or one who wishes to rule, there is a saying in Tamil, Nallavan Venama, Vallavan Venama, that means do you want a good man or a capable man? 
maybe you want a good man as your neighbor. But you want a capable man, a competent man to run the nation. It is not that Yudhishthira is not competent. It is not that he is not capable. It is not that he lacks intelligence to do that. But he read too many scriptures and he's got too much of bookish goodness in him, which does not allow his intelligence to function. Instead of doing what is good for the people, he does what is good for his conscience. This is Yudhishthira right through. Continuously, he is seeking disaster after disaster. It doesn't matter how all the people around him work to place him in a good place, he will make a disaster out of it again. Not with any evil intention, with goodness. Yudhishthira, a good man, a good man on a good man, as tedious as only good can get, but when life gets mean, you will want a good man. Yudhishthira, a good man, a good man on a good man, as tedious as only good can get, but when life gets mean, you will want a good man. So, that's Yudhishthira, a whole situation for which so many people paid so dearly and so many people risked their lives and some lost their lives. When the situation comes by, he again puts it back to square one with his goodness. An opportunity like this, Duryodhana is not going to miss. So once again, he starts plotting. Just to give you an insight into all the things that he would get into. Duryodhana, Karna and Dhritarashtra, the king, meet. He forces a meeting and he is in a highly agitated state. He says, I, I was born to be a king. I am not going to take instructions from anybody. If you don't let me somehow get rid of this Pandavas, I will commit suicide. And since he came to know that Pandas, Pandavas have come alive because they were dead for a year, since he came to know that they have come alive, there's been only one thing on his mind, how to re-engineer the palace of wax in some other form. He still does not know how it failed and why it failed. So, he's ranting away. He says, 
Only because they have the friendship of Drupada, they think they are strong. Let us invest all our wealth if we need to and somehow buy Drupada over. Once Drupada is on our side, we can openly kill these five guys. There is nobody to defend them. So Karna reminds him, Krishna is on their side. The Yadavas, who are Krishna's men, they are almost known to be not mortal kind in battlefield. So he reminds him on that day of Swayambara, any one of the Yadavas, Krishna himself, Satyaki, Uddhava, any one of them could have shot that fish. I want you to know any one of them, ordinary warriors in the Yadava clan could have shot it but they did not shoot it because Krishna forbade them. Thinking of corrupting Drupada when his daughter is married to them, <laughs> this is childish plan. But Duryodhana is not done, he has many plans. He says, we can poison their food. They are living here in the palace, we can easily poison their food. Dhritarashtra and Karna say nothing. Then he sees they're not taking the plan and he goes on. We can hire the most beautiful woman in the country, seduce all the five Pandavas and turn Draupati against them. There's nothing like breaking a home. If you break a home, then it is done. They don't buy it, they just look at him. Then he says, the two sons of Madri, Nakula and Sahadeva, if we separate them somehow, we can corrupt them in some way, I'm sure. If we turn the brothers against brothers, instead of being five, if they become three and two, we can do them in. They don't buy it. Then he says, Krishna has a weakness for women. We can corrupt him somehow. And I know before I married Banumati, his own wife, he had a kind of a soft corner for her. We could try something. That's how far he goes. Then Dhritarashtra says, My son, your heart is poisoned. You're full of venom. Leave this. Let us think what is the solution, this is not going to work. If we kill them, he's not against killing. He's only thinking of how practical it is. If we kill them, there could be revolt in Hastinapur. People could come out on the streets. That will not be good for us. And I want you to remember, in the past, Drupada has routed the Kaurava army once. The Kuru army has been defeated by Panchalis. 
and once again, now fired by the passion of this relationship, he will again come at us. Along with the Yadavas, we stone, stand no chance. This is not the way to go. But Duryodhana is not done with his plans. He said, I'll come up with something else. Then they meet along with Bhishma, Drona, Kripacharya, Vidura, all the doins of the Kuru court. Bhishma tells him, this is not it. I am telling you, Pandavas are not defeatable in a fair fight. Killing your brothers is not… is the last thing that must be on your mind. Already you have brought so much disrepute to yourself because of the wax palace. Not only to yourself, to your father and the king and the Kuru dynasty that the brothers are trying to burn the brothers down. A man does not die when his spirit leaves the body. A man dies when, your rep when his reputation is lost. Still there is a chance for you. Just allow Yudhishthira be, to be the king. He is a fair man. He will not rub it in on you in any way. He will treat you well. You see what he did just now. I coronate him and he takes you as an equal. He will not make it nasty for you, he will treat you as a brother. Learn to live as a brother. There is a chance for you to regain your own reputation and find a place, a good place in history. This is the turning point for you. You have to make the right decision now. But this not just here, all along, in a dozen important situations it continues every time there is a turn to take Duryodhana compulsively takes the wrong turn. It doesn't matter how many people advise him, he's hell-bent on taking the wrong turn. His advisors, his friends, elders, it doesn't matter who tells him, he will take the wrong turn anyway. Then seeing that Bhishma is voicing what he wants to, Dronacharya says, one thing I want you to know is, Pandavas are not easily defeatable even in foul play. I know Arjuna, I have trained him, he's as good as me. He can shoot you dead in his sleep. When he's asleep, he can shoot you dead. He has that kind of power within himself. Don't try this. This will invite death for you, your brothers and probably for all of us. Kripacharya says similar things. Vidura sees that there is no point trying to convince Duryodhana, so he plays on the emotions of Dhritarashtra. He says, oh brother, you remember what a sweet childhood we had. Dhritarashtra, 
and uh, Vidura and Pandu grew up together. Three of us, what a wonderful childhood we had, how joyful we were, how loving we were, how you loved Pandu and how can we do this to Pandu's children? Pandu will look down on you from heaven and curse you and your children forever. Dhritarashtra shook, so Vidura realized he's hit it and he wants to press it on. He further tried to rake this emotion between him and Pandu. But Vidura knew Dhritarashtra very well, but still he underestimated him in his ability to put on an act and continue with his attachment for his son. Dhritarashtra said, all the elders, Bhishma, Drona, Kripacharya, Vidura, there can be no better counselors than these. I have the best counselors that any king can ever have. They are saying the best things to us. It is in our well-being that they are saying this. It is in for the well-being of the Kuru dynasty that they are saying this. My son, you must do the right thing. See, as a king, he can just tell him what to do. But no, he will not tell him what to do. He will tell him, you must do the right thing and leaves it open. Duryodhana gets up and walks out of the meeting, which is an unthinkable thing to do. When the king is sitting there and Bhishma, who is referred to as Pitama, the eldest there in the Kuru court is sitting there to get up and walk away from the meeting is an unthinkable thing, but Duryodhana gets up and walks away. So the die is set, either the Pandavas should die or they should leave. But then Krishna steps in. From here on, Krishna plays an important role in everything that happens. He takes an active role and counsels them and says, Okay, I understand these people cannot live together here. But it is fair that you must give them half the kingdom. Let them go and they have their half. Let the Kauravas, Duryodhana and his brothers rule in Hastinapur. Let Yudhishthira take another half and make his own nation. Bhishma is against this because his allegiance to the nation is such, he does not want to split the country at any cost. So he resists and he goes to all the elders in Hastinapur and says, all of you must intervene. The nation is going to be cut into two pieces. The elders said, when you took that stupid vow, you did not consult us. Now why are you consulting us? Do it yourself. Because they all knew it is heading for it. Let him bear the pain of cutting the nation into two. So it came upon Bhishma to cut the, la the land that he loved into two pieces. 
and he told Dhritarashtra, it's all right, split the country, let them have one part and let the Kauravas rule in Hastinapur. So Dhritarashtra called the five Pandava brothers in the full assembly of the court, he gave a fair cut. The cut was like this, he told them, I will give you Kandava Prastha. Kandava Prastha was the ancient capital of the Kuru dynasty. Pururava, the first of the Kauravas, was the son of Buddha, if you remember, got a curse from the rishis and the whole place went down into ruins and the place dried up and became like a desert. It was an abandoned city, fallen apart, ruined. Nothing grew around it except thorns. That was the gift that was given to the Pandavas. But Yudhisthira being who he is, he dutifully accepted this and took his brothers, his wife, and was leaving. Krishna intervened and he said, now to make it fair, it is best that half the gold and the cattle and the horses and the chariots and the mulls, the mulls means the wrestlers, the wrestlers are very important. If you want to train an army, you need the people who work in the gymnasium, the mulls and whoever else wants to go with the Pandavas, the blacksmiths and the goldsmiths and whoever else wants to go with them, let them go with them. No compulsion, no compulsion to stay, no compulsion to go. This was unexpected. But right now, they were trying to make the lift scene look like it's a very fair division. They're taking the best part and they're giving an abandoned part which is of no use to anybody. They believe if they go there anyway, they will die. And anyway, Duryodhana has plans for them. He does not intend that they just go away. So, they had to part with the gold, the horses, the cattle and lot of people decided to go with the Pandavas. This convoy left for Kandavaprastha. After days and days of walking and many, many people dying on the way, they reached Kandavaprastha. Till then, the brothers were enthusiastic. When they saw the place, the desolation of the place, their hearts sank and Bhima became furious. Bhima, born of the wind, a restless force to reckon with, can be led by a mountain or a hill, a valley or a mall, can make the oceans rise and roll, but cannot even lift a pebble, a lovable bubble. Bhima, born of the wind, a restless force to reckon with, 
can be led by a mountain or a hill, a valley or a mall, can make the oceans rise and roll, but cannot even lift a pebble, a lovable bubble. He raged, I want to kill that Duryodhana and his brothers, is this the place to give us? You know, he's the son of wind. He just flies off, always. All the other brothers became quiet. Now they saw what they have landed up with in the middle of nowhere, a cursed city. Then Krishna said, and to think, that the old man Bhishma sanctions this and your guru Drona and Kripacharya allows this to happen. And very irre irreverently, which is very strange for him, very irreverently he said, the people who have brought this upon you, they are inviting death with their open arms. It's not far away. He is including, for the first time, Bhishma, Drona, Kripacharya, Dhritarashtra, everybody in that death business. It is no more just Duryodhana. So exhausted from journey, all the people who traveled with them and the Pandavas lie down in the open, in the desert and fall asleep. Krishna alone sits there waits for everybody to go down. Then he walks about feeling the place out. Then he raises his head facing the sky. In a tongue which is older than the sun that burns in the sky, he calls for Indra. He says, Indra, I summon you and after whatever descriptions of how he arrived, of light and thunder and everything, and Indira arrived, Krishna said, you have to raise this city with your magic. If you raise this city, we will name this Kandava Prastha as Indra Prastha. This will be your city and it should be the most beautiful city that the world has seen and a magic spread across. Vishwakarma was called. Vishwakarma is the architect of Indira. He came and when he was ordered to raise the city, his ethereal body spread itself like a blanket across the city and the city gently rose as everybody slept. Its walls, its towers, its palaces, its courts, its homes just rose. The magic of it was witnessed only by Indira and Krishna. And when they woke up in the morning, they woke up in a beautiful city. They went to sleep in a desolate desert and they woke up in a beautiful city 
And this news spread across like wildfire. Pandavas have raised a city overnight. Suddenly, Pandavas were seen by common people, godlike from that moment onwards. They were no more seen as human beings. Already there were stories about them that they came back from the dead. The story spread, these people died, went to Devaloka and they have transformed themselves into gods and they have come back and now they have raised the city overnight. So Indraprastha became the most beautiful city. Even today, Indraprastha is the capital of India. Indraprastha is one part of New Delhi. That's where it rose and that continued to remain the capital city of various dynasties. Even the invaders who came from outside chose to rule from Indraprastha and even today, the corridors of power are carved out into Indraprastha and still lives on. I don't know if it's still that magical. <clears throat> then Krishna and Arjuna, this is the time that they really bonded. Many lifetimes they have seen together as Nara Narayana, but in this life, this is the time after Indraprastha that they spent time together and bonded. They went out riding, spent days and nights sitting on river banks and talking and discussing and understanding various things that Arjuna needed to understand. This was a time of bonding for them that once again Arjuna consciously bonded with Krishna in this life. And Krishna said, it is time we extend the city and build many other things. So they were in the Kandava Prastha or the Kandava Vana, which is the… which was a thick jungle. And they were sitting in the shade of a beautiful tree on the banks of Yamuna. Indra sa uh, Krishna said, we will have to burn this forest down. Arjuna said, it is such a beautiful forest and it's so full of life, how can we burn it down? So Krishna said, now that you have chosen to be kings, you must bear the burden of civilizing the world. It is something that you have to carry upon your heads, there is no way. There is no glory of being a king without the responsibility and the burden of civilizing the world and that needs brutal action. And he and Arjuna together, they burned this forest down. And Krishna tells Arjuna, you must kill every creature that tries to escape the fire. Arjuna says, why kill them? Let them go. He says, if you let an enemy go, he will return. 
you don't let an enemy go. If you let him go, he will come back tomorrow. You want to live and rule this nation in peace, you don't let your enemies go. So, in this whole process, they kill every other creature and they acquire certain amount of enmity because they kill all the snakes and one particular snake's snake escapes and that comes back to cause trouble as Krishna said. Said, an enemy who, whom you let go today, he will come back tomorrow. And he came back and really bothered them much later. <clears throat> From this also, a man comes out who did not belong to this land. His name is Maya or they don't know his name, they just call him Maya. So Maya came out and pleaded, please don't kill me and I have great skills to build, I am a great builder. In my nation, in the land or in the world from which I come, I am a builder, I am an architect, I can build a great assembly hall for you, the kind of assembly hall that humans have not seen in this part of the world. Please do not take my life. Arjuna looked at Krishna, drawn and ready. Krishna said, yes, let him be, he'll be useful for you. And Maya came out and built the Maya Sabha or a courthouse or an assembly hall for which there was no match anywhere. An exquisite description of how this assembly hall was. He made glass panes with crystal, thin sheets of crystal where people could look through but they wouldn't know it is there. You must understand these are days when nobody had seen glass. So when guests came, they walked into it thinking it's open doorways. And of all the people, Duryodhana walked into it. <laughs> A very proud man, when he knocks his head on something, you're in for trouble <laughs> So Indraprastha grew and everybody started moving because it's such a beautiful and prosperous city. All the talent started moving towards Indraprastha. People started vacating other cities. The best of people started coming to Indraprastha. Half of Astinapura traveled. Anybody who was worth anything started moving to Indraprastha. And once again, the Kaurava heart started burning. That everybody is moving towards Indraprastha. Everybody wants to go there. Even Duryodhana's brothers wanted to go and see, which made him so wild. But then the inevitable thing happened. Narada came. When Narada comes, <laughs> trouble always came in the form of goodness. Narada came, he… when all the five brothers prostrated in front of him in the presence of Krishna, Narada once again brought back this issue. He said, now you have become prosperous and he told them a story 
about two Rakshasas, Sunda and Asunda. These are brothers who were bonded very strongly and they built a huge kingdom for themselves and they ruled. They loved each other very much and their influence and power kept growing. So, certain other people who thought they should not grow like this, sent a woman who was a Gandharvi. Her name was Tilottama. Tilottama arrived, a very ravishingly beautiful woman and both the brothers were drawn to her. She made sure both of them developed substantial interest in her. And then when it came to the crux, she said, whoever is the strongest among you, I will marry them, that person. So immediately they got to a fight. Both were equally strong and they killed each other. Narada told this story to the Pandavas and he said, Tilottama was also a dark beauty like Panchali. Now, you are not two, you are five. Invariably, as when you're in hardship, you will not fight. As well-being grows, you will fight for this woman. So, whatever the law that Krishna has set for you must be followed absolutely. Till then, they lived in Hastinapura and all this intrigue going on, politics going on. This rule that Krishna set for them that Draupadi has to live with one brother for one year and nobody else can go near her at that time, if they do, they will be banished, was not really practiced because they were not in any stable situations. Now that you are in your own palace, you must follow this. Narada established this in in the presence of Krishna. And uh, the only one who complained was Bhima. Then a situation happened. People were happy, the city was beautiful and getting bigger by the day, teeming with activity and talent and they had a fabulous palace and above all, this assembly hall that the Maya built was the talk of the world. People were traveling from long distances just to see this hall. Then Narada also said, now that you are positioned like this and Krishna is here wanting to establish dharma in the Kshatriya world, it is time that you perform a Rajasuya Yagna. A Rajasuya Yagna means it is a ritual performed to establish the king as the king of kings. You send the message out that this king 
has right now become powerful enough, fit enough to become… to be the king of kings. Either you accept or you fight, one way or the other. Or in other words, they're transforming a king into an emperor. Yudhishthira said, where is this needed? We are happy in Indraprastha, why should we go and invade other people? Why should we force or coerce other people to take us as their superiors? Where is the need? I have no such ambition. So Narada said, it's not about you, your father has still not made it to heaven. He is still in the land of Yama. The reason is, he does not have his own biological children. You are his children. Unless you do the Rajasuya, he cannot race to the Devaloka or to the land of gods. So that fixed it and Durya, uh, Yudhishthira agreed and they sent out the message of Rajasuya. Rajasuya Yagna was not even happening once a century, it happened once in many centuries. So once in a way a king acquired enough prominence to claim that he can perform Rajasuya Yagna. It is the biggest thing that can happen to your Kshatriya. Invitations were sent forth. Where invitations were refused, armies were sent. The four brothers, Bhima, Arjuna, Nakula Sahadeva went in different directions and conquered land after land, kingdom after kingdom. They put them down and brought back immense wealth. Elephant loads of gold and jewelry and diamonds, they brought back as gifts from other kings. It was a sign that they have surrendered. And Rajasuya Yagna is to be performed. The only kingdom which was not touched was that of the Kauravas because they are brothers. You don't go touch them. But they were invited as guests to be a part of the Rajasuya, not as outside guests, but as household. So they could not refuse. Duryodhana had to travel along with Bhishma, Drona and the one hundred Dududus, except Dhritarashtra because of his blindness. Everybody else traveled and when they walked into Indraprastha, when they saw the glory of the place, Duryodhana's heart caught fire. He couldn't bear it anymore. You send them into a wax palace, they don't die. You send them into a desert, they turn it into paradise. His heart started burning and now he is doing Rajasuya. In one generation, only one king can perform Rajasuya. That means Duryodhana's thing is out in his life. It's not out for now. In his life, it's out unless Yudhishthira is dead. So immediately, 
That is the only ambition now. The moment he walked into the city, he thought they will be living in some ramshackle place. When he walked into a glorious city, he couldn't bear it anymore. And Rajasya Yagna happened or happening well, all the kings have assembled. In the meantime, just before this, Jarasandha, the king of Magadha, who has been Krishna's enemy continuously, who burned down Madura, Mathura and because of it, Krishna moved to Dwaraka. Jarasandha had captured ninety-nine kings and put them in the dungeons because he was planning to do another kind of yagna where he wants to sacrifice one hundred Kshatriya kings. So ninety-nine he captured. He just needed one more to perform. So Krishna said, if he performs this yagna, hundred kings will die at a time and your Rajasuya will not succeed and anyway Jarasandha is not going to accept and you cannot fight his army with yours. Your army is not yet big enough to fight Jarasandha's army. So we must kill Jarasandha one way or the other. One thing is, I owe it to him that he must be dead already. But somehow because I moved west, I kind of forgot about it. I owe it to him and if you want your Rajasuya to be successful, he has to be removed. So how to kill Jarasandha? He is a mighty king and, and quite an indomitable human being. So Bhima, Arjuna and Krishna, disguised as brahmanas, traveled to Magadha. As in those days, brahmanas naturally found welcome in any city, they were welcomed. They said they want to meet the king. The king gave them an audience. Then they said, Bhima wants to wrestle with Jarasandha. Jarasandha was known to be a great wrestler and his birth was a, a different kind of birth in the sense. Jarasandha's father did not have children, so he went to a sage and asked for a blessing. The sage gave him a fruit and a mango fruit and said, you give this fruit to your wife, she will bear for you a son. He had two wives, he loved both of them and both of them were together when he came with the fruit. So he suddenly did not want to decide to which one to give. So it was very natural for him to cut the fruit and give two halves to both the wives. Both of them, when they delivered, they delivered half a baby each. This distortion of a baby split in the center, he was terrified and they wanted to immediately do away with this and they, this two pieces of an infant were given to a maid to go and discard in the forest to be buried. They don't want the people to know that such a monstrosity has happened in the palace. 
they don't want anybody to know, secretly go and bury it. But the maid took it to the forest, instead of burying, just threw it there and came on because the labor of digging, wow, waste it, some wild animal will eat it anyway. Then a cannibalistic tribe to which a Rakshasi belonged to, her name was Jara. She came and she saw these two pieces of flesh, picked it up, wrapped it in her, this thing, and went deeper into the forest to eat. But when she wrapped these two pieces of the infant in her clothing and walked, suddenly the child started crying. These two got enjoined and the little infant was crying. She picked up this little baby. Never before she had handled such a tender piece of life. She looked at this and she couldn't eat it. If it was a little bigger, she would have eaten it. This was too tender, too vulnerable and helpless. She could not eat and her own maternal instincts would not let her do that. And she held the child and then when she realized this has come from the palace, she found a person to take this back to the king. When a wonderful baby boy came home from two pieces of flesh, he was so happy, the king was so happy that he named his son after this Rakshasi. So he called his son Jarasandha, one who was put together by Jara. And Jarasandha was a great king, only thing is, he's just on the wrong side of the story, a very just and capable king, a very strong king, strong in every sense. But he hates Krishna, so he's on the wrong side of our story. So when these three brahmanas arrived, he welcomed them. When they said Bhima wants to wrestle with him, they did not reveal their identity. He looked at them, sized them up, he looked at Arjuna and said, well, you are an archer, you are not a brahmin, aren't you? An archer's hands, an archer's hands will be visibly so. It'll be calloused in a certain way that anybody will know that he's an archer. And he also noticed that he said, you're ambidextrous, who are you? Arjuna could fight or use, use his bow and arrow with the same accuracy with both his hands. So he was ambidextrous. So one of his… The, one of the names given to him is uh, Savyasachi, that is he could use both his hands to fight. He was not… See, if you can use only one hand, on, this is the only way you can do, you will be hugely crippled in a battle. Somebody is here, you have to turn around. Now he is not like that, he goes like this, he goes like this. That makes him all the more capable. So he said, you are ambidextrous, who are you? The only other archer that I know who is ambidextrous is Arjuna. I have not met him, 
For sure Arjuna wouldn't come dressed as a Brahmin. Anyway, you have come as guests and you welcomed them, gave them a place in the palace. He said, are you sure you can wrestle with me? Because he is a wrestler who is generally considered matchless. There were two kinds of wrestling matches going on in those days. One is as a sport, where once you put a man down, it's over. Another is a death sport, where you have to end the man in the wrestling rink. Only one man leaves the ring in the end. Two people never walk out, only one man does. If you leave him injured and don't kill him, that is the worst thing you can do to him, you must kill him. So they were asking for the second variety of wrestling. Bhima wanted to wrestle with you as a death sport, not as a simple sport. But still, Jarasandha kept them as his guests, treated them very well with fabulous hospitality. And wrestling was fixed after a few days of hospitality. Every day in the late afternoon wrestling started and went on for two and a half to three hours till both the wrestlers were exhausted and they went back, they dined together, they drank together, they partied together and again next afternoon they went back to the ring. It went on for many days. Krishna said, told Bhima, stretch the wrestling little more. Hospitality is too good here. <laughs> what is our problem? If you can last in the ring, we have no problem, we're really enjoying this place. <laughs> it went on for many, many days and then they said, okay, it's time to go back. They told Bhima to go all the way. But going all the way with Jarasandha is not going to be easy because he is going all the way too. They fought bitterly. Whatever Bhima did, he is not able to kill Jarasandha. Bhima is a much younger man, much stronger man, but he is not able to take his life. Twenty-six days and three hours they fought. Krishna said, it's enough, we must end it. Then they decided with wrestling they cannot kill each other. So they went into… they took up mace. However you hit him, Jarasandha won't die, he just sits up again and again. Because he's an older man, he was little more exhausted than Bhima, but he's able to take every kind of be beating. And Krishna told, told Bhima, tomorrow is Amavasya. On the Amavasya night, Jarasandha is going to acquire superhuman powers. He will kill you. Don't think he is treating us so well for nothing. He is treating us so well 
so that we enjoy the hospitality, he is waiting for Amavasya. When Amavasya comes, he is unbeatable and on that day he will kill you, which is tomorrow. Tomorrow you will be dead unless you kill him today. So Bhima went all out, whatever he did, he couldn't. Then he looked at Krishna, what to do? Because if you don't kill him today, tomorrow Bhima will die. Then Krishna took a leaf, how wonderful, I have a leaf, but I don't like to tear a leaf. Krishna tore the leaf into two. Bhima knew of Jarasandha's birth, how that two pieces of an infant were enjoined. So he immediately understood and put one leg on Jarasandha's left leg and tore him into two pieces and threw him apart. But to his amazement and everybody else's amazement, these two pieces rolled together, again came together and sat up. Then Bhima now knew his death is imminent. Even if you tear him apart, he is coming together, tomorrow I will die. With fearful eyes, he looked at Krishna. Krishna took another leaf, tore it and threw it this way and this way. Next time again, Jarasandha was exhausted but he will not die. He is just waiting for tomorrow. So Bhima again tore him apart and throw, threw the right piece of the body to the left and the left portion of the body to the right. And the people were waiting. Again the bodies will come together and sit up. Nothing happened. Jarasandha's son, Krishna coronated him as the king and included him into the Rajasuya Yagna, released the ninety-nine kings who were imprisoned in Jarasandha's dungeons and they traveled back with these ninety-nine kings with a great amount of wealth, half the gold that Jarasandha had, they loaded it up. Jarasandha had a huge collection or a huge army of elephants. They took half the elephant army and loaded it up with half the wealth that Jarasandha had. And these ninety-nine kings with this immense wealth, they came back to Indraprastha and now Rajasuya Yagna is happening. There is not enough space in the treasury of Indraprastha to keep the wealth that these people have brought back. It is stored in heaps and heaps everywhere. Duryodhana and his clan have come, everybody has assembled, the yagna is to happen. In the yagna, one person is to be a guest of honor. So Bhishma being the eldest, Yudhishthara came prostrated in front of him and said, Pitama, you must tell me who should be the guest of honor for this. In my mind I feel it's you, but I leave it to you, who should be the guest of honor? Bhishma said, of all the men who are here, 
I may be the eldest, but the greatest is definitely Krishna because he is only a man for namesake. So naturally he must be the guest of honor. The moment he said this, Shishupala, Krishna's cousin brother, stood up in rage. Shishupala is the king of Chedi. He was known as the bull of Chedi because he was an extraordinarily huge built man. And there is a string of problems in the past with Shishupala. There are many things, but one important thing is Shishupala wanted to marry Rukmini. He was set to marry her. Rukmini's brother, Rukma, promised Shishupala that he will give his sister in marriage to his friend who is Shishupala. Instead of simply conducting a marriage, they called for a Swayamvara. A Swayamvara means the girl can choose, but they set up a fake Swayamvara. The brother has already made the choice and now they've set up a Swayamvara just to satisfy everybody, just using the Swayamvara as a political event. But who she is to marry is already fixed. And Rukmini is in love with Krishna, whom she has not seen. She has heard about him and fallen in love with him. She has never seen him. So Krishna knew that this woman loves him and he did not want to allow this tradition of setting up fake swayamvaras. So he went in, abducted the princess and they gave him chase. Rukma, the brother and Sishupala, both of them, he tranced them and shaved Rukma's head just to shame him because he continued to pursue him all the way. He disarmed him, he didn't want to kill him because he's Rukmini's brother. The only way to stop him was he disarmed him, shaved his head, shaved his eyebrows, shaved his mustache with his sword and sent him back. The shame, Akshatriya's mustache and eyebrows shaved means that is the worst thing that you can do to a man. He did that and left and he defeated Shishupala. When Shishupala was young, for no reason, out of his arrogance, he was abusing Krishna. At one point, Krishna got little hot and he said, this is not needed. Shishupala's mother, knowing who Krishna was, she begged Krishna, Promise me that you will never kill Shishupala. Then Krishna said, even if he abuses me hundred times, I will not do it. So today, the moment Bhishma said, Krishna will be the guest of honor, Shishupala got inflamed. All the old anger, and shame he has in him 
burst out and he stood up and started abusing Krishna. Bhishma intervened and said, See, there is no need to abuse the guest of honor in an event like this. It is me who chose him, not Yudhishthira. Then he started abusing Bhishma. He said vulgar things about him and he continued to abuse Krishna. Krishna just sat there smiling and counting. Then it, when it came to ninety-nine, he said, See, I promised your mother that even if you abuse me one hundred times, I will not kill you. There's just one more left for you. You do one more, you'll be dead. But Sishupala was in no mood or condition to listen. He was frothing in his mouth and abusing. So Krishna took his… the deadly famous Sudarshana Chakra. He learned to use this disc. It goes to say in Mahabharata, Krishna when Jarasandha attacked him and he had to leave Mathura, he went up a mountain, met a, met a sage who was working with metallurgy. And this sage who belonged to a particular tribe taught him how to extract the hardest kind of metal known… not known till that time from a reddish-brown rock. So, he learned this and he extracted this metal. Till then, all the arms were made of brass. So for the first time, Krishna made a discus with steel or iron. So, he learned to use the discus in such a way that all kinds of magical powers have been attached to it. He let loose his disc and it sliced off. Sishupala's head and many other friends of Sishupala and people who resented the killing of Jarasandha, they all drew their swords. The Pandavas were unarmed, but then people who were for Pandavas, they outnumbered those who drew the swords and they kind of contained it, but Rajasuya Yagna, which should have happened beautifully, turned kind of ugly. This is the greatest event in a king's life. It turned ugly. One thing is, Krishna had to kill his own cousin. Another thing is, it was on the verge of an outbreak of violence. It was Krishna's Yadava soldiers who mainly contained the situation on that day. Otherwise, right there, mass killing would have happened. So after the Rajasuya Yagna is over, when all the other guests left, Yudhishthira particularly requested, as is, it's his nature, for his cousin brothers to stay back for a few more days, be our guest, it's been such a long time, we've been missing all the bad blood. <laughs> a good man and a good man and a good man. When the Rajasuya Yagna happened, it is… it is part of being family, 
that everybody takes up some responsibility. If your uncles and aunts and cousins come, you can't treat them like guests. You have to give them some responsibility so that they feel like it's their home. As a part of this, it's more a nominal thing. Some of them will take it up seriously. For some, it is a nominal thing. Even today, this practice is there in Indian weddings. There's a nominal responsibility. Some people will take genuine responsibility, others will take just nominal responsibility. So, when Yudhisthira asked Krishna, what responsibility should I give Duryodhana? Krishna smiled and said, make him the keeper of your treasury. So, Yudhishthira innocently gave him the responsibility of managing the treasury for those few days. Duryodhana walked into the treasury, it was heaps of wealth, heaps of everything that he could not dream of. This is it, that fixed it <laughs> If there was not enough jealousy in him, that one thing fixed it. When he saw this wealth, he couldn't bear it. And Yudhisthira asked him to stay back and enjoy the hospitality for a few more days. And uh, because this whole function happening, people could not have a good look at the palace and everything, now they were taking them on a tour of the Maya Sabha, which was a magical hall that nobody had ever seen till then because this architect came from elsewhere, a Maya. Crystal screens which looked like glass and he created crystal clear water pools. He created floorings which looked like water pools. He created water pools which looked like flooring. One had to really watch out and it happened, Duryodhana is not somebody who'll take a tour from somebody, you know. Have you seen this? Have you seen this happening? If you take a group of people on a tour, usually women, children and a few men will walk with a guide. There are some men who cannot walk with a guide. <laughs> yes, haven't, haven't you seen it? <laughs> so Duryodhana cannot go on a conducted tour. It's impossible for him to walk listening to somebody, okay, this is this, this is this, this is this, he cannot do that. He is a king and he… he walked and walked into a crystal screen. As if that was not bad enough, he walked in another place and walked into the pool, fell into the pool. Draupadi, who was passing by, and Nakula, Sahadeva, Arjuna and Bhima who were sitting there, Draupati burst into peals of laughter. And the other four brothers also could not contain their glee and they also laughed. Yudhishthira sternly looked at them, brothers controlled the laughter, but the woman, she laughed. Initially, just laughed. After that, laughed, laughed. <laughs> and as if that was not enough, she said, what can you expect? 
of a blind man's son, full-fledged rage, jealousy, envy, anger, fear, turned into a full-blooded rage, he looked at her and if her husbands were not there, he would have ripped her apart. He went back, burning in shame. On the way back, he did not eat for many days and he said he wants to die, he wants to commit suicide. <laughs> he said, I cannot bear this shame that their city has grown like this, they've become wealthy and now they've done Rajasuya Yagna, I cannot do it in my life and the woman laughed at me, I will die. So he went back in the palace, sat down. For many weeks he did not eat, he did not shower, he did not clean his body, he did not change his clothes, he just sat like a madman. Dhritarashtra became very worried that his son is going insane. Whatever anybody said, he was in no mood to listen, he was just insane, he wants to die. Because he does not know how to correct the situation. Then Shakuni steps in. He says, what you cannot do with the sword, you could do with guile. You are a foolish Kshatriya. Always thinking about the sword, always thinking about poison, always thinking about killing. There are other ways to do things. And he pulled out these two things. These are my father's bones. These will roll as I want. Actually these do, you ask me whichever number you want, I'll get you <laughs> The dharma of those days is, if you invite a kshatriya either for a duel or for a game of dice, he cannot say no, he has to come. And Shakuni said, Yudhishthar has a weakness for game of dice. Let us invite him for a game of dice. I will play for you. And Yudhishthira has a great appetite for the game and has absolutely no clue how to play. <laughs> and we will get the kingdom out of them in the game of dice. Don't worry, all their wealth, everything, we'll get it out of them. You just bring them here, rest I will take care." Duryodhana suddenly new life coursed through him, showered, ate, changed his clothes, again full of vigor, went up to his father and said, Father, we must invite the Pandavas for a game of dice. The moment Bhishma heard this dastardly plan, he stepped in and he said, no way. For the first time, Duryodhana revolted openly against Bhishma. He said, you are an old man, your place is not here. All the people of your generation are, where, are there where they should be. 
your place is not here, you don't understand the politics of the day. You are an archaic person, you leave it to me. For the first time, he was kind of brushed aside. Till now, nobody had ever spoken in any depreciating terms about Bhishma. For the first time, this young boy or young man pushed him aside. Everybody was aghast, but nobody has the courage now <clears throat> because he's the king now. Nobody has the courage to say anything to him. <clears throat> so, Dhritarashtra said he doesn't like the idea, but he likes it. <laughs> Sent the invitation to the Pandavas. Yudhishthira, a good man and a good man and a good man, our brothers, are inviting us. They just came as our guests. It is our dharma to go as their guests. Bhima said, we would be utterly stupid to go back to that place and play a game of dice with them. They got something up their sleeve. They'll once again try, try to burn us down. They'll do something. Yudhishthira said, no. Our dharma is, our brothers have invited us as a king. When they have called us, when they have called me for a game of dice, I cannot say no and he likes to play, but though he does not know how to play. Journeyed back to Hastinapur for the first time in full regal glory. Five brothers, their queen and the whole paraphernalia, they went back. <clears throat>